0: Welcome everybody once again to the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by WinTrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs, and exclusive home, the Chicago Cubs checking, of course, just coming off of a five-game series at Wrigley Field versus the St. Louis Cardinals. It's the first of its kind since 1944 and only the third time we've seen an installment of its kind. It's 1925, 1944, and 2020, just lending further to 2020 being one of the craziest years That we've ever seen, but uh, nothing crazy about the fact that the Cubs, well, they won the series. It's their sixth series win of the season and coming away with that series win versus the St. Louis Cardinals. Well, it has to bring a smile to every single Cubs fans nationwide and also bringing smiles to Cubs fans' faces. It's our guy, Tony Andraki. He's our Cubs reporter at Marquee Sports Network, always a staple here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Also, welcoming into the fold. It's a guy who's covered Chicago baseball for over 30 years. It's Bruce Levine. And Bruce, you know what? I'm going to start with you, man, because when it comes to takeaways from this five game series versus the Redbirds, what does let us know about this 2020 Cubs team? If anything, it has to show that they're resilient.
1: That's the word that came to my mind, Cole, is uh, that they grind it out. It's not pretty all the time, but uh, they seem to really be into it. And uh, I think, you know, when we're talking about the 60 game season we alluded to from the very beginning that numbers and uh, personal stats really won't mean that much and I think more than anyone I've seen uh, the Cubs have embraced that idea that uh, you know don't worry about whether you're uh, you're hitting a 350 or whether you're um, you know you have 10 home runs get the job done and grind it out on each at bat and I think that's indicative of the David Ross era right now of what we're watching with the Chicago Cubs and the way they go about their business. So from that perspective, uh, the bigger picture is they're embracing the
0: old day-to-day, game-to-game attention you have to pay to try to win. Now you talked about the grinding out ability of this ball club, Bruce, but uh, you know, with, with bases loaded, we haven't seen as many grinding at bats at last look the cubs were 5 for 27 with the bases loaded and they weren't really able to hit the nail on the head tony that seems to be one of the weaknesses of this team and then this is a team that really doesn't have a whole bunch of weaknesses but once they finally start coming through with base loaded and once some of the guys who who are at the top of the lineup they start coming through I mean, this is a dangerous bunch
2: yeah, it really is. And I, I think what Ross said about it, I think it was between games it, it was perfect that you just want to keep putting yourself in good situations and eventually you feel like you'll come through. And that was my takeaway from this weekend is I was impressed with the Cubs ability to stay within their approach offensively, even when they were hitting the ball hard and it was right at guys. I mean, Hayward hit a ball that was like 105 miles an hour off the bat. It was it had like a 960 expected batting average, and ended up being a somewhat routine fly out to the warning track in center field. And it was like these guys stayed within their approach. They kept, continued to work pitches uh, and, and see a lot of pitches, draw walks when that's what the pitcher was given to them, and then they eventually broke through. You know, it was a David Bodie O2 pitch that ended up being the the big hit in this. In, this, uh, in the doubleheader and kind of in the series as well. But that was what impressed me, was the, the Cubs' ability to stay within their approach even when they weren't getting the results. Well, results,
0: they did come when David Bodie came to the plate. And we were sitting in our Marquee Sports Network studio, and I was sitting there talking with my producer, Nick Steger. I said, I said Stegs, I said, watch this. I said, David Bodie, he's coming through, this guy right here. He got himself a new T-shirt made by Obvious T-shirts. So he's going to come through it, and that's exactly – what happened, Antonio? I'll go back to you on this one, David Bodie, When it comes to clutch
2: situations, the stage is never too small for this cat. No, it's not. I, I, I'm. <laughs> it is so funny how many clutch hits he has come up with over his Cubs career. For a guy who isn't doesn't play every day, you know, isn't getting five or six hundred at bats and plate appearances every year, and yet he's come up with those huge moments. And we saw it with the the walk-off Grand Slam. I mean, one of the greatest moments and most thrilling moments in Cubs history. And then this week, that three-run homer, I mean, I thought the Cubs were, you know, about to get swept in the doubleheader on Monday. And he he hits a three-run homer that ends up giving him life. And and they are able to carry that over into Tuesday's win. And then same thing again. I mean, and he's in an 0-2 count with bases loaded. I was thinking exactly what you said, Cole, that like With the bases loaded, the Cubs just have not been coming through. And all of a sudden, he gets a 92-mile-an-hour fastball and just kind of shortens up and and sends it into center field. So, yeah, I think it's just been impressive what Bodie has been able to do whenever he's gotten a clutch opportunity. And, Bruce, David Bodie, he's not only been clutch at the plate,
0: he's also been clutch after the game when it comes to his post-game media sessions and interviews with the one-on-ones with Taylor McGregor. I mean, I hear you and Tony in the post-game press conferences – you guys are dogs. You're always getting those questions in. And if there's anyone who answers those questions as, as solid as can be, it's David Bodie. I mean, this guy seems to be well beyond his years when it comes to experience media wise, huh?
1: I guess, but you know, he had a faux pie yesterday you know, when they asked him about an error that uh, should have been a Rizzo's and he kind of backed away from that and then came back to it. So okay. he's still learning that part of the trade as well. Uh, you know, the, you know the the high throw that went off of uh, Rizzo's glove should have been Rizzo's error. But um, when uh, the question was asked and was a loaded question about uh, the, the error should have gone the other way, you know David said, "Next question, please." Well, you know, as a young player, young athlete, you just you just don't do that uh, unless you're Bobby Knight or unless you're uh, you know one of the uh, the all time greats. But uh, to his credit, he came back. And answered that question and said, maybe I need to make a better throw. So uh, not quite the finished product there, but certainly a very willing and uh, open guy to talk to after games. I think he's a pretty interesting guy. And, you know, Tony and I will um, attest to this, Cole, and that is we haven't had a lot of uh, Bryants, and we we haven't had a lot of bias moments because the the, the other guys, like Bodie and Hap. And, um, uh, you know, for a while it was Horner. Uh, they've, been, they've been carrying the load of the big hits on this team most of the year. So, from that perspective, I think once those guys get going, and we know the baseball card says they will, um, you know, this could be a really good offense. Again, it's a different era. It's a strikeout era, it's a strikeout walk, extra base era. Uh, I think we're all getting used to that. But nonetheless, uh, those big guys really haven't hit their stride yet. And once they do, um, it could be a good time for the Cubs' offense.
0: Well, Bruce, when you talk about the big guys, you know, the one big guy that really jumps out is Chris Bryant. We know that his wrist and his ring finger are a little banged up. He had two days off, obviously Thursday. That's a good day to have him off and then going into that weekend series versus the White Sox. But when he does come back, is he just a shoe in to walk right back into that leadoff spot? Because what we've seen Ian Hap do in that one hole has been pretty amazing.
1: Well, it is. And, uh, you know, one thing David Ross has shown is that he's not going to play favorites here and he's not going to go too much with, uh, well, this is what you used to uh, be able to do. Look, uh, the the top of the order hole has been there since Dexter Fowler left. Okay. They've tried everybody at that spot. Uh, Bryant embraced it in spring training after talking to David Ross there. And he asked him if he would do it. Um, You know, He has not done well in that role, even before he got injured. And, uh, you know, again, Ross is always uh, the the kind of guy that wants his regulars to hit in a certain position. But at this point, uh, it appears Hap uh, has been so good that he has no choice but to move him up there and move Bryant down. Now, Bryant's not going to hit seventh or eighth. Uh, What the order will probably look like is uh, Hap, Bryant, Rizzo, Uh, And everybody else just moving down one. So it won't be a demotion to the point of saying, hey, you're not doing well anymore. We don't want you at the top of the order. It'll just be a, a different ascension of people at the top of the order.
0: Well, Tony, you know that that's interesting to hear Bruce say because I know one thing that this team has really wrapped themselves around is, you know, we're not really focused on results. We're just focused on winning games, you know, having quality at bats and going in there and scoring runs. And at the end of the day, it's all about one guy having the next guy's back. It's that band of brothers mentality that we see each and every single pitch and each and every single out in the dugout. But when you look at some of the approaches and you look at Chris Bryant potentially being back in that one hole, or if it's the three hole, and Bruce said he's not going to have him back towards the back end of the lineup, but, but why not? If that's what helps the team, if that's for the greater good of the squad, if Chris Bryant's going to see more pitches in potentially a six hole or maybe a seven hole, don't you think he would perhaps want to put that ego aside and say, guys, whatever it takes, if I see more pitches down a little bit further down in the lineup, then let's do it. I'm, I'm, all, I'm all game.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we saw that in uh, 2018 when Brian dealt with a shoulder injury. He came back to the lineup, and he hit fifth and sixth a couple of times, too. So I, I don't think, uh, you know, if Ross went to him and, and said, like, hey, I think you need to hit seventh, I don't think Brian's ego would stand in the way. It's not, yeah. just, it's not that type of guy that he is. Um, but I do think that Brian still gives the Cubs – it's so much more upside. So I, I agree. I, I like what Bruce said in that you. I could see a very realistic scenario that Hap, Bryant, Rizzo is the top three, especially because Javi has struggled as well and is not really necessitating needing to be in the top three. So, But Bryant, what he does best, and look, he wasn't right. He, he hit the home run after he, he rolled over his wrist, but after that, it was just very clear that he wasn't right he didn't look right he was swinging through 92 mile an hour pitches right in the middle of the zone like that Chris Bryant when healthy just doesn't do that maybe he follows him back maybe he just misses him and flies out but to swing and miss like that on a regular basis that he just didn't look right so um, but before that he had a rough opening series but i think he did a lot of what they wanted from him at the top of the order he saw a lot of pitches he got on base a lot, and between the opening series and the injury, he actually was was performing pretty well, similar to, to Brian's standards. So I think when he does come back, I could certainly see him in that number two spot, kind of setting the table a little bit and getting on base.
0: Well, when it comes to guys that haven't gotten going yet, you talked about Javi, you said that the lineup not necessitating him being in that three-hole. Uh, Bruce, we, we've seen Javi, by struggle, mightily at the plate. He has, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, 11 two strikeout games at least with two strikeouts in it and some of the attempts that we've seen at the plate they just don't look Javi-esque I mean we see him with you know what they call on the streets a a butt out strikeout and you know on the outside pitch he's trying to pull it over the left field fence so when are we going to see him have some more focused at bats and a different approach at the plate because the way Javi's been going as of late it's not where he wants to be I mean he's batting under 200.
2: Yeah you know
1: what we've learned about Javi over the years there's no rhyme or reason to his hot streaks or when he gets it going Uh, we've seen him have hot first halves and cold second halves like last year Uh, before he got hurt last year he was having a cold second half after being in fuego the first half of 2019 both he and Contreras were carrying the team offensively so from from that perspective it's just kind of hard to say but we do know one thing once he starts moving the ball up the middle into right field, uh, this is a guy that's almost impossible to get out. So when he, when he, when he drops the mentality of trying to pull everything and pulling his head off of everything, this is one of the best players in baseball that we know. Um, getting back to it. Uh, that's an I question. Uh, both he and the hitting instructors are working on things, but uh, you know, bias certainly knows him, himself better than anyone else. The, the interesting thing that we heard yesterday from Jason Hayward uh, when Tony and I were on a, uh, a Zoom after the game was that uh, we, we heard from him that the players are helping each other with their swings more than ever before because the access isn't as good to scouting reports and video and information on guys, uh, pictures from, from everywhere because of the times that we have right now and no games being played at those other sites, um, they're going in the blind against a lot of pitchers and hitters. And therefore, they're, they're helping each other out uh, with information about uh, technically staying in their own zones. I, I, I found that to be very interesting because that is a very old school thing that used to take place uh, back in the day, up until maybe the 1990s, where a guy started, to using, started using video and uh, relying more on the personal coaching from from hitting instructors. In this case, uh, now people are reverting back to that old, hey, that's not you. Here's what you're pulling off. And and I think that that's a very helpful thing for the Cubs moving forward.
0: Yeah, Tony Gwynn, he was the the grandfather of uh, of video breakdowns. You know, Tony Gwynn would go into that lab and sit there and watch video of opposing pitchers, and then he'd come out and then uh, no big whoop just coffee talk he'll hit 394 just like that but when it comes to Javi Baez Tony I mean we've seen him struggle and you know after we hit that double the other day he said I want the ball give me the ball back so he took the ball back and it's, it's almost as if like oh, it felt like my first hit because we haven't seen him do that
2: in such a long time. Yeah no I'm totally with you Cole I thought that game on Tuesday was gonna open him up because he looked so much more relaxed after that double and then Schwarber hit the homer and it was kind of classic Javi-esque he just stood there and admired it for a while and you know if a guy can have swag standing on second base and scoring on a home run then Javi can do it you know and that's exactly what happened but uh and then after that he drew a walk on a on a low and away slider on a 3-2 pitch that he didn't swing at which I thought was impressive because he's been swinging at that a lot the last couple of weeks so I thought you know that's good and then his last time up he actually goes to right field like Bruce said which we know is the key for Javi but it ended up just being a fly out but I'm like okay this might be the three plate appearances that gets Javi Bias going sure enough that wasn't the case because Wednesday he came in and and struck out a a few times again so you know Javi will come around I, I don't have any question about that but it is a matter of when and in a shortened season I, I'm not sure exactly what and as we talk about lineup construction with Ross I'm going to be very curious to see how Ross handles it moving forward if these hobby struggles persist for a little bit longer than even this weekend.
0: Yeah you know I feel like sometimes the old guy over there who's like hey, hey get get off my lawn because I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the strikeout I'm not a big fan of launch angle and that's I feel like a byproduct you know a lot of a lot of times these guys they're swinging for the fences and putting the ball in play and, and moving runner station to station. It isn't of the utmost importance when you're sitting there and watching bases loaded and sometimes games, they just become maddening. So that's why I want to see Javi, you know, get that form back and, and be the Javi Baez that we know he can be. And when you talk about a guy that's getting his form back, you know, the, the last three outings, you talked about three at bats on Tuesday for Javi Baez, but the last three outings for Craig Kimbrell, I mean, Bruce, he's looked like the Craig Kimbrell of old. I mean, it, he got his first save. He, he, that's his 347th career save that he lodged on on, on, on Wednesday. I feel like it, it felt like it was a Sunday, even though it was a Wednesday. But he, either way, Craig Kimbrell, he's back in the mix. And whether or not he's that closer, whether it's he or Rowan Wick or Jeremy Jeffress, for David Ross to have that kind of a problem right now to look down at his bench or look down in the bullpen and see that he has three quality arms and, and maybe even a fourth and Ryan Tappare that he can throw in the mix not a bad problem. Yeah, I mean, look,
1: uh, they're not going to win anything unless Kimberl's at the end and doing his job, okay? So being straightened out is the key to, to their season because uh, no matter how good these other guys are, and and Wick has done a really good job, Jeffress has done a good job, you know, you see uh, Tapera uh, really manning up and doing a good job. You need that, that big hoss at the end, and you need him to be... Craig Kimbrell. And he's slowly getting back to that. Uh, David Ross talked about the fact that he's not quite there yet. Even with these recent outings, he'd like to see the breaking ball have a little bit more depth and he thinks he's going to get there. But uh, when, when Kimbrell talked, he talked about the fact that he needs to get back to being Craig Kimbrell again. Now, what does that mean? It means that uh, he's not going out there thinking a million different things. He's just letting his good stuff and his balance and his mechanics Do their thing uh this has been a mechanical issue that became a mental issue uh when you start thinking about your mechanics and you're out there as a uh top pitcher like he is all of a sudden it becomes a mental issue and then you start losing uh, the trust in your stuff and you start being unbalanced on the mound he's getting really close now uh the last three outings are uh evidence that he's getting close but again as ross said it's not quite uh Craig Kimbrell yet, but on his way there, very confident. And uh the one thing I liked, uh, he was asked directly at any point in time, did you lose your confidence in, in yourself? And he said very directly, no, and didn't move off of that. So from, from all of that, that's what you want in your closer. You want that swagger, you want that belief that you're invincible, and you want Kimbrell to get back to that mentally to go along with these physical, mechanical changes that he's
0: made. Yeah, we've seen Kimbrell with that newfound confidence, but we've seen that same confidence exude from Jeremy Jeffress all season long and and Ryan Tepera, for that matter. We saw Tepera come in the other day and absolutely blow doors, struck out the side. I mean, he's just kind of a guy that kind of rides underneath the radar. But either way, you know, when you talk about a confidence level being at a new high, how about Albert Alzali? Tony, I mean, he comes in in short work and – Goes in there in game two of a doubleheader and absolutely deals. I mean, one one run allowed, and that wasn't even an earned run. So when you look at what he could bring to the table for the back half of the season, I mean, even it sounds funny, but the back half of the season, it's almost
2: here already. What could he mean for the next six weeks? Yeah, I think Ross said it best with Alzolay that he feels Elzalé is going to get some big outs and pitch some big innings for the Cubs down the stretch. And, and I think so, too. We saw a glimpse of it in Wednesday's game. and. Elzelay had a great debut last season when he came up and pitched well, struggled once in, in an outing uh, in the starting rotation, but he also he only had some limited time in the big leagues last year because his innings count was, was uh, where it was at based off of some recent injuries. So I'm curious to see where he fits in with this team moving forward. But that curveball is a major weapon, and it hadn't translated from the minors to the majors in the past but it did on Wednesday, you know, he got five of his six strikeouts on the curveball itself. So I think if he can continue to keep that going, maybe he goes to South Bend for a bit here and then the Cubs call him back up. Or maybe he just sticks in the rotation for a little while. But Elzelay's a guy I think can, can get some big outs and help the Cubs, whether in the bullpen or rotation moving forward.
0: You know, one guy, Bruce, who's really seemed to figure things out, we know he was back and forth last season, but last season that's clearly in the rearview mirror, Ian Happ. I mean, this dude, he does damage from both sides of the plate. Whenever he's in on a play, you know you have to keep your eyes peeled. He does it defensively. He does it offensively. And, it, you know, if, if I had to cast my ballot this many games into the season for the team MVP, I mean, I think I might have to write in Ian Happ.
1: Yeah, well, he might be in the National League uh uh, mVP race as well, the way he 's gone, so he has been quite impressive and and just the the, the plane of the swing has changed uh, dramatically. Um, you see him being able to get on top of a high fastball yesterday uh, you know he 's been known as a low ball hitter and that you can get him out at the top of the zone and uh, uh, when when they start looking at that video of the next team like the white sox or the next opponent they're they 're going to start scratching their head because. Uh, there's not a a quick way to get him out. Sure, he's going to strike out. uh, That'll be a part of it. But uh, the damage that he's doing to the opposite field, uh, left-handed, and the improvement that he's made right-handed with his power stroke is very impressive. So um, I think Hap did the lion's share of the heavy lifting last year when he went back to the minor leagues and uh, toiled down there for three and a half months before he came up. And As Tony and I watched uh, in St. Louis and right before that, uh, Ian Happ was their best hitter uh, in the month of September as well last year. So this is just uh, a lot of hard work paying off for Ian Happ, and it's, you know, showing off on the field where um, he has been one of the most uh, influential uh, hitters on
0: the team. Bruce, you touch on the fact that the White Sox are coming into town. I mean, just from the – just a little – a short ride on the red line essentially – You know, just getting off of the the Addison stuff. But either way, you're looking at this White Sox team. I mean, they're they're a power-packed bunch. And I know that bragging rights are on the line. And you know, Dallas Keuchel, he's going to be going on Friday in game one. I mean, if you're the Cubs' lineup, I mean, Dallas Keuchel, this guy's no walk in the park. He keeps batters out front and off balance. And this is going to be a hard, nitty-gritty, tough-fought series. Yeah, I mean, he
1: combines a lot of the things that the old Mark Burley used to be like for the White Sox. He combines a lot of things that uh, John Lester does as the reinvented John Lester right now, and that is uh, good command on both sides of the plate, sinker, slider, ground ball, machine. That's what, uh, what Keichel is. He will get the swing and miss uh, when he has a, a, a little bit better of a fastball on a given day, but uh, it's, it's all about soft contact, and he does it as well as anybody. He's been their most uh, effective person on the field off the field he's been a tremendously influential calling uh, players out and personnel out about not being uh, attentive and not being in a game and at a particular point of, about 10 days ago um this is a guy with a lot of leadership ability also a guy that's played on championship teams so he's been an important guy uh, the, the cubs will have their hands full uh centering him up uh, when he pitches on friday
0: yeah, Dallas Keuchel, he uh, pretty much laid everything out there and told the, the team how he felt. And since then, they, they've really done an about-face. And, you know, you talk about that matchup, Bruce, and it's Dallas Keuchel versus John Lester, the reinvented John Lester. And, you know, if you're John Lester, you, you're getting a nice little rest up on the day off on Thursday. Everyone gets to take a break from the ballpark. But back when Friday, you know, rolls back around, Tony, it's going to be all systems go. And, and the thing for, for John Lester is we've seen him be so solid with that with that reinvented attack I mean, how does he get past this, this lineup of, of, of White Sox? Because last time I looked, man, they looked like a thorn bush.
2: Yeah, they do. And and we've seen it from the Sox. Like, they can get hot in a hurry. Like, things can be going well. And then they can hit four homers in a row. And we see guys like, uh, you know, Robert and, and uh, Jimenez and Abreu. I mean, like, these guys – Mankata and Anderson are still doing as well as they are. Edwin Encarnacion looks like he's back. Like, there's a lot of right-handed power in this lineup. And as you mentioned, Cole, it, it will be a tough matchup for Lester. And uh, Just in general, I think it'll be a tough matchup for, for Darvish and Hendricks later in the weekend, too, because the White Sox, they can score runs in, in bunches and very, very quickly. So it, it could be a very offensive series if the Cubs can figure out what they need to do and get the results, as we talked about earlier. Yeah, you
0: know we always say this: forewarned is fairwarned. And uh, if you're, if you're John Lester, if you're Kyle Hendricks, if you're if you're anyone in the starting rotation for the Cubs, that's pretty much the, the the caveat we want to throw out there. Forewarned is fairwarned because, like Tony said, Bruce, this White Sox lineup they are a dangerous bunch, and all these young guys they can hit. I mean, Tony didn't even mention Yasmani Grandal. I mean, that guy we we know how dangerous he is with the bat.
1: Yeah, and he's been banged up a little bit here. He's uh, suffering with a little back issue, so. Uh, probably another day off from today, and uh, maybe get back into the lineup uh, this weekend. But um, the the White Sox are a monster against left handed pitching. Okay, they are as you pointed out, heavy right handed power team. So Grandal getting back uh, into the swing of things, literally and figuratively both, is very important because uh, here is the guy that they brought in to add power as long as, as well as his. Uh, his frame uh his, his catching uh, ability and his framing ability um so from the left side he and mancada and uh they hope Mazzara start to pick it up because they can be pitched to by good right-handed pitching uh it's just a question of uh the balance in their lineup and uh, being able to match up against Hendricks and darvish over the weekend as well with good at bats
0: Bruce, you've been covering the, the Crosstown Classic Series since the Shoeless Joe Jackson days, man. What do you think? Is this the most anticipated? That ain't right. That ain't. <laughs> you know, the funniest part is, though, is that you and I are closer in age than, than Tony and I are, so I don't know who I'm – it's pot calling the kettle black when no. it comes to old here. But uh, w- what's this Crosstown Series w- – what's it like? Is this one of the most anticipated that you've seen in quite some time? It's going
1: to be different uh, right now, guys, because of the no fans. With the, with
0: the no fans
1: – this series, we saw it in the Cardinals series and some of the players talked about it in their sessions as well to, with the media, that they're, they're, there's just a little bit less. And in the Cardinals and the White Sox Cubs case, a lot less because there's so much energy from the fans and so much uh, that the, the players pick up on as far as uh, the adrenaline rush. That, that just isn't there right now in baseball. I mean, it's lacking. It's lacking. Uh, Tony and I have the privilege, if you want to call it that, of going out and covering these games. And it's as odd as odd can be. Uh, the, the product on marquee and on television and in the, on the radio is much better than it is in person. It, it's, it can be dreadfully awful in person because of the lack of fans looking down there at the empty seats and knowing that uh, both uh, you as a media person and, more importantly, the players uh, miss that a type of adrenaline and a type of energy behind them. So I look for this to be not quite the series it's been in the past because uh, the, the fans for the Cubs and White Sox have so much to do with this series. And, and that's just not going to be a part of it. You
0: know, I hear where you're at with that one, Bruce, but you know, I've heard a lot of grumblings from people saying, you know, watching these games with no fans, it's just not the same, you know, and it's the crowd noise, blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't know about you Tony, but the crowd noise, you know, it's, it's, It's been pretty accurate. You know, it's it's, if you're sitting there watching and you're not really paying too close of attention to everything that's going on outside of the actual matchups in the game, then you you feel like you're in a regular game. And last time I looked, I don't know, at least for myself, I don't turn on the game to see who's sitting in the stance. I turn on a baseball game or a basketball game or a football game to actually watch the product on the field. I'm not trying to sit there and check out, oh, look who's sitting in row three B.
2: No, yeah. I think the only unrealistic part about the sound is the fact that when when one of the Cubs players like Brian or Rizzo or Javi flies out to the outfield, there's a routine fly out and there's not this huge rush of crowd noise like there is typically at Wrigley thinking it's a home run or whatever. That's the only somewhat unrealistic part. But yeah, the crowd noise is really faded in the background for me. I, I haven't even thought about it uh, when I've been there as much. But to Bruce's point, too. I I mean, I have noticed every single day that there's probably not an inning that goes by, to be honest, that I don't recognize and I'm not cognizant of the fact that I look down at Wrigley Field and there are no fans. So it it will be different, absolutely, for this series. But I do think what this series brings for the first time in a long time in Crosstown is its important meaning. I I mean, these three games here coming up this weekend mean more to either side than they've meant to the Cubs or the White Sox in a long time. Both teams are contending. Both teams are vying for the division and for playoff spots. And, and I think these three games and then the three at the, to close out the season on the south side, they're going to be some of the toughest and biggest games for either team this season.
0: Yeah, it's probably tough for Bruce walking into Wrigley Field with no fans because you're used to such a, a large round of applause every time <laughs> you walk up there. The press well, box. you know, and
1: and when I covered the series initially, they didn't play at Wrigley Field. You know, they were at the, the old West Side ballpark. So, Absolutely. Uh, with with the standards. standard
0: in left field where people on Sundays were allowed to, to roam freely and then they, they say, "Hey, look at the, the crazy noises coming out of left field." Bruce Levine actually the one who coined that No race. no
1: beer sales on Sunday at that.
0: Point. Uh-huh. Exactly. But uh you know what? Let, let's uh let's take a look at the series just right before we get get out of here because if we could take a page Out of Bill Belichick's book, we know what he likes to do when it comes to game plans. He likes to neutralize the other team's strength. So if there's one player that you could take out of the mix on the White Sox and not even have to worry about him anymore, Bruce, who would it be?
1: Well, right now, you know, it's uh, Anderson. Uh, He's the one one guy that you just can't get out. His confidence is sky high. His ability to hit for power now has uh, escalated to the point where He's just doing a tremendous amount of OPS damage. You know, he's just pounding the ball into the alleys, out of the ballpark. And uh, they pick up on his energy. His energy is uh, the key to the Chicago White Sox. He really gets things going both uh, with his bat and with his attitude. And he's their most important player. You take him out of there, that's a different team. And we saw it when he was out with an injury.
0: Yeah, with Tim Anderson's playing style, Bruce, would you say that he reminds you of, of a young Cole Wright, by chance?
1: Uh, well, I never got to see you play because you never made it past Little League. But
0: from- <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh ah, he got me. Oh, Bruce. I- but
1: uh, in reality, you know, uh, he he is certainly uh, an, an electric player. And, uh, you know, with, with the Cubs, you know, I, I think, you know, if you're going to take a player out of there and it's going to have a huge impact right now, it's back to our topic. Ian Happ is the man right now.
0: Okay, uh, for, the, for those listening, they, they can't see us, Tony, but we're on Zoom, so if we're, we're going to channel our inner Bill Belichick, I'm going to put on my hood here and, 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 and ask you if you could take one player away. Yeah, Tony's, got, Tony's got his hood on as well. He's ready to go, so you know, if, you could, if you could take one player away and uh, move on to Cincinnati, uh, uh, just like Bill Belichick, who, 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 would it be, who would it be,
2: Tony? Yeah, I think uh, Bruce is living rent-free in my head because that was exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> Even all the points about Tim Anderson – uh, I think the energy that Anderson brings atop the White Sox lineup right now is the key. So, and, and honestly, too, for the other way, it, it's got to be half So if both those guys are, you know, the north side and south side teams here in the crosstown, I, I think you got to take, take away the leadoff hitter if you're both pitching staffs. You got to keep those guys off base and, and uh, from putting balls in the bleachers. And I think you have a pretty good chance of winning. Alright well the weekend series it's going down. It all
0: gets underway Friday at Wrigley Field. It's the Crosstown series White Sox Cubs. It's Dallas Keichel taking on John Lester. It's a battle of finesse lefties. We'll see how this one goes. It's going to be fun all weekend long just like this installment of the Cubs Weekly Podcast with Bruce Levine and Tony Andracki and myself, Cole Wright. So remember, always tune in right here. The Cubs Weekly Podcast is brought to you by Trust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs, and exclusive home to Chicago Cubs checking. And remember, as always, if you like what you're hearing here on this podcast, go ahead and download it on Spotify and Apple or wherever you download your podcast. Until then, we'll see you next time, guys.